Welcome to Theme Park Patriarchs, the podcast where father and son discuss all things theme parks. I'm your host, Kelby, and I'm joined by my co-host and dad, Tony. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. All right, dad, how was your week? It was good. How was your holiday? You know, we had a um, we had a fun holiday. It was fairly uneventful. Um, we, you know, just hung with the kids and um, we went to a friend's house for fireworks on Monday, enjoyed church on Sunday, just typical stuff, typical weekend stuff. Saw a lot of fireworks and I realized something never buy fireworks. All you have to do is just wait till the 4th of July, hop in your car and just drive across whatever county you live in if they do not have firework ordinances. Um, Because we saw a ton of fireworks and did not have to spend any money blowing things up. So, um, but yeah, it was a good weekend. What about you? What did you guys do? Oh, well, we went over to Casey and Shane's for little cookout and uh, they had a block party for their neighborhood which was we met some really nice people um we didn't stay for the fireworks because i had to be up at 5 30 this morning but i did um i did set the not dvr because we have youtube tv but whatever it is to record macy's fourth of july and i've seen it before it, it's always good but this year it was awesome I have never seen so many fireworks in all my life. I mean, it was like Disney celebration fireworks on steroids. It was really massive. That's awesome. Made made me want to go to New York to watch them next year. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good deal. Um, So I would like you to start this week um, with your park of the week, I've got a couple of interesting topics that I want to talk about later, but I want want to hear what you're, uh, what you're thinking this week. Kings Island. It's one of the best parks, 364 acres. It's North of Cincinnati. Presently it's owned by Cedar fair. Um, but it was first owned by Taft broadcasting. Now Kings Island was created because Cincinnati's amusement park at the time was Um, Well, it had different names, but it was finally just shortened to Coney Island, but it was Cincinnati's Coney Island or Coney Island of Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, it was it was a small park, didn't have a whole lot of room and it was on the Ohio River. So it was also prone to flooding. So Taft came in and bought it, I want to say, in 1969 with intentions of moving it. So they bought a lot of land in Mason, Ohio, or Kings Mills. I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but uh, Mason is the closest town, I think. And uh, Kings Mills may just be a township. I'm not sure on that. But anyway, they bought a lot of property north of the city, away from any kind of river that could flood them. And, um, And it was massive. I mean, back in the day, it even had an animal safari park that you rode a monorail through. Oh, wow. Presently, it occupies 364 acres, and it's owned by um, Cedar Fair, like I said. It was used in the 70s on uh, multiple TV shows, a couple of them being the Brady Bunch and the Partridge Family. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's an episode of the Brady Bunch where they're at Kings Island, and there's an episode of the Partridge Family where they're at Kings Island. And back in those days, I think the only roller coaster they had was the racer. 
which is a really good roller coaster if you only had to have one, and that would be a good one to start with. Um, you know, they've Kings Island's had some negative publicity down through the years, the bat being a disaster, and then Son of Beast was also a disaster. Um, but um, and then Vortex, you know, is an arrow coaster that got rough toward the end. But you know, you think about all the good things they've added, they've added Banshee since Son of Beast was destroyed and Diamondback and uh, uh, Mystic Timbers. They have retracked the beast. It looks amazing from the videos that I can see. And I believe they have retracked some of Racer as well, if not all of it. That's awesome. So that's good that they're refurbishing their, you know, their good coasters. Of course, the beast was a record breaker in its day. And it still holds the record, I believe, for the longest wooden coaster. Yeah, yeah, I believe you're right. And Orion is there, right? That's their new big steel coaster, right? Right. A couple of the really wonderful things about um, uh, Kings Island, just as an added bonus, since I, you know, in addition to having great rides and decent location, you know, in the in the Midwest, not Midwest, but. Um, yeah, I mean, technically Ohio's the Midwest, right? I mean, it's really not from our perspective here in the southern U.S., but they consider that Midwest. The The great thing to add on to what you're saying about Kings Island, the great thing about that is you're close to Cincinnati, which is a cool, like, old-school river town, um, and you're close enough to a lot of different places. I mean, if you live in West Virginia, you go to Kings Island. If you live in Kentucky, you go to Kings Island. If you live in Tennessee... You go to Kings Island. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, Indiana, Indianapolis. Right. Not that far away. right. It's, it's a, it's close to a lot of places being in that area of Southern Ohio. So I agree. Um, but in addition to it being a good location, they also have a water park that's included in your admission mm -hmm. and, and the land itself um, is pretty much flat. You don't have to do a whole lot of hard climbing um, now, the area where the beast goes to, that is very hilly, and the beast uses the, the land to, um, you know, for some of its hills and features. But um, as far as the walking area, the paved area, you really don't have a lot of hills. And the ones that are there are just a gradual incline, nothing that you really have to climb. So it is a pretty much, for the most part, a flat park and easy to walk. Yeah. All right. That's really all I got. No, awesome choice. I, I love Kings Island. We're going to be going there soon, so I'm looking forward to that. I think our family is still planning on going for Labor Day, correct? As far as I know. So hopefully that works out. Um, Cincinnati is an interesting place. It's so funny you mentioned, and and I'll move on to my park in a second, but you mentioned that you know there was a park in downtown Cincinnati that, that was called Coney Island, and it was kind it, of their their version, right? Still there. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, a water park. Yeah. So the thing that I find interesting, and it's not necessarily theme park related, but you know that I like sports and baseball and things of that nature. Um, I went to a Cincinnati Reds game a couple years back with my brother-in-law and father-in-law. And there on the plaque, I saw that they claim that the Cincinnati Reds is the oldest professional baseball club in America. Well, I didn't believe that. So I did some research. I mean, how could you put it on a plaque if it wasn't true? But I guess it just piqued my interest. And the Cincinnati Red Stockings became America's first professional baseball club in 1869. Um, 
basically the the way that the teams worked back then is they would move from one city to another someone would buy them someone would sell them all of that right and their names were the red stockings and it's very much um reminiscent of the um boston red Sox. i haven't looked at all of the history but if i'm not mistaken they were founded in cincinnati and then moved to boston and then exchanged hands a few different times but it's funny that that is also a northeast um, thing that is directly mirrored in cincinnati right so i wonder if there was connections there just in people that had money or people that were moving from jobs from the northeast u.s to you know cincinnati in that river town so i found yeah. that very interesting so um I, I, oh i know that the coney island that they had even though it was you know a small park and not the best location as far as uh, flood zones it was very popular yeah yeah so um, for my park of the day, I want to, I kind of want to do a little bit of a Disney thing. You know that I'm kind of a Disney fanatic. Um, I want to talk about Hollywood Studios. Um, but basically Disney's Hollywood Studios uh, is a theme park at Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando. It was the brainchild of great uh, Imagineer Marty Schuyler and uh, Michael Eisner, who has kind of a storied past with Disney, right? I know that a lot of shareholders wanted him out uh, toward the end of his career with Disney. He didn't make what shareholders and fans thought to be the best decisions. But when you look back on his history, in some ways, he was the one of the greatest things to ever happen to Disney. And in other ways, he definitely was not. Uh, but it was really, I mean, Hollywood Studios was really his brainchild with a couple of um, a couple of choice Imagineers. Um, it was the third uh, theme park that Disney built in Orlando. The park is very small. It's about 135 acres. And, you know, it's basically completely dedicated to film properties, television, music and theater properties. Um, it's big icon or the center draw would be the Chinese theater. Uh, as well as you have the Hollywood Hotel or Tower of Terror. Through the years, they've changed a few things over there. They had licensing with MGM as we know it. You know, when when I was a kid, it was MGM Studios. And then, you know, it had an earful tower when it first opened. They had the Sorcerer's Hat as kind of a call. Overall, Hollywood Studios is a great park, but it was one of those things that I feel like Michael Eisner was trying to make a cool park, but didn't want to spend a lot of money on it, right? You go to Epcot and you see the sheer size of that. You go to Magic Kingdom and the castle and all the theming, you see the, the size of that. And he made a great park, but I felt like he was trying to save money and cut corners. Most recently, Bob Iger has come in and a new set of Imagineers, and they have added um, a lot of things to the park, as well as like properties and rides and, and different things. Um, so I would dare say that Hollywood Studios is now probably one of my more favorite parks in spite of being smaller. Um, you know, it uh, 2018, it served over 11 million guests. It was ranked the fifth most visited uh, park in North America. That was greatly in part to... Um, the addition of the Toy Story area, but also the Star Wars area. 
you know that I am a big Star Wars nerd. Uh, I greatly enjoyed Star Wars. Um, I like all the movies, the series. I even go as deep as the cartoons and all the side stories, some of the books. Um, my, I have uh, some acquaintances that run a Star Wars podcast. I would say friends. I consider them friends. They may not consider me a friend, but um, so I'll use the word acquaintances. Uh, so I really, really love Star Wars. There's an entire section of this park that is dedicated towards Star Wars called Batu. It is amazing. It is 100% immersive um, for all the things that I feel like Michael Eisner tried to save money on when they built Batu. They did the exact opposite. Everything about that park is designed to, or that section of the park is designed to make you feel like you are in another world, like you're on another planet. Uh, notable rides at Hollywood Studios, uh, Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, my favorite drop ride. I don't like drop rides, but that one is amazing. Um, another notable ride would be Rock and Roller Coaster, which you know some people are calling for a retheme on that. I still enjoy the theme. Every time I go there, I still have a good time riding that ride. Um, then you have uh, Star Tours, you have Slinky Dog Dash, you have Toy Story Mania, um, Rise of the Resistance, uh, Millennium Falcon, Smuggler's Run, just a lot of great rides there. Some good shows, The Muppet Show, Fantasmic is an amazing nighttime show. Um, there is a Frozen sing-along show, uh, Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway. Uh, just overall, that new addition, uh, Hollywood Studios used to be one of my least favorite Disney parks, but I would dare say now it's, it's, it's really up there. Uh, I really enjoy Hollywood Studios and just the, the re-theme of that Star Wars area and adding to that land has, has made a lot of a difference in that park. Yeah. I'm, I haven't been since they've added it. Yeah. When I was there last, they had all of that blocked off because they were building it. So the right. crowd know where to go. It was a, it was a miserable day at that park. Yeah. You, you go to that central hub and you can go down towards rock and roller coaster and tower of terror. And then that was kind of it. You could go to the Chinese theater. Oh, Indiana Jones show. How did I forget that one? Like yeah. my favorite show of all time is in that park. Yeah. A couple things I don't love about Hollywood studios, the food options. I will say they are getting better, but uh, the couple of times we've been, it's been a little bit difficult to find decent food uh i will tell you i like the i like the food at um ronto roasters in batu the star wars land they have these like pork sausage wraps and euros and stuff like that and then my favorite food there is at the abc commissary they have a buffalo chicken grilled cheese and i don't care how hot and humid it is in orlando it could be the middle of august hot and humid and we're all you know wearing face masks as this was 2020 i will still eat that buffalo chicken grilled cheese it is so good so a couple of good food options i just felt like sit down restaurants there weren't a lot you know normally with the theme park you get your quick service, like grab and go type stuff. And then you get some like decent sit down options. And then you have your expensive restaurants. It felt like in Hollywood studio, this, those middle restaurants that are not quite expensive, but not like just grab fast food and go. There wasn't much on the way of that. 
Um, Pizza Rizzo is about the only one that is that kind of middle ground area or the ABC commissary, in my opinion. And they are both really good. I just wish there were more food options in the park. Well, a couple of things that I like about the studio. I like their entrance. I hope they never change it. Yeah, the the like bus turnstile. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just unassuming and so retro, and I really like their entrance. Yeah, and, um, I really like that that twenties, thirties California Hollywood vibe. I, I agree. Yeah, when we went the first time to Hollywood Studios, you were three years old, and we had breakfast with the characters, and um, Aladdin was the hot ticket item back then. Yeah, so you got to see Aladdin and Jasmine and genie and jafar and i remember you pulled genie's beard yeah absolutely he, he played it off true to character i was almost like is that robin williams in that costume he did a good job yeah that 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 and i still remember that that's all overall one of my favorite theme park memories for sure um so yeah and it was cool you know being able to take my kids we went to um oh i don't remember the name of the restaurant now it's one of those diners when you first walk in and you walk past like the the old school Hollywood vibes and you go to the left next to that um, that lake area. I believe it's called Echo Lake. And it's like this old diner right there. And they had their first character meal there. So it's it's kind of cool for things like that to come full circle. Uh, and, you know, the other thing about being a kid is they just had some awesome kid intellectual properties in the 90s. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ace Ventura, Goosebumps, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It was like you got all of this stuff that wasn't Disney at Disney. I think that was really cool. Seeing the parade and, you know, Michelangelo, Donatello, the Ninja Turtles just coming down the the road. I just remember thinking that was cool. I remember thinking that um, Aladdin coming through on that parade was really cool. So, yeah, definitely love Hollywood Studios. Great park great rides and you know you could go there in a day with you and your friends or you and your family if they're all riding age and you could hit every ride twice that's another thing that i love about the park is like it's not hard to get on everything or at least it hasn't been in my experience yeah well good deal all right what about your rides i want to hear what you like what you don't like tell me tell me what's up this week I'm sticking with Kings Island since I started talking about them. And I mentioned the coaster that was um, an early roller coaster, and that was a racer. So racer is, it's not a record breaker. I don't believe it was a record breaker when it was built. But, you know, it doesn't, bigger and faster doesn't always mean better. You know, they named it a racer, and it starts out that way. But once you get to the end where it turns to come back, you don't actually see the other car anymore until you get back into the station. So I guess maybe um, it could have been designed a little different and to make it a little better. But at the same time, that kind of leaves the question, are you ahead of the other car? You know, and you don't really know until you get into the station. So, but um, it's an out and back coaster. It's not very tall. It's not super fast, but it is super fun. Those hills are just steep enough to make you come out of your seat. And then the second hill is so much smaller than the first one. Of course, it's going to have some ejector air time. 
And, um, and it just follows the course of up and down, up and down. When we wrote it the last time, they used one of the cars, uh, they put it backwards on the track. That was a completely unique experience. I loved it. You never knew when that drop was going to happen. You just knew it was going to happen. Right. And it created a different experience. It almost felt like two rides in one. So that was really cool. It has a great element, just a good, fun coaster. Nothing spectacular, but really nothing negative either. It's just a good, fun ride. Awesome. So if you had to give Racer uh, one to 10 clickety clacks, clickety 10 being the highest, obviously, where would you rate that ride? I would give it a solid seven. That's good. That's good. I feel like that's a solid rating. I agree yeah. with you. It is cool that you can ride it forwards. You can ride it backwards. It's cool. The history behind it too. You know, I love to see parks investing in older rides, you know, and keeping them alive and keeping them running and all yeah, that. I don't think they have the backwards track now since they have retracted. I believe both cars are facing forward again. Um, gotcha. Back retro on it. Gotcha. I think it was, you know, during a time when it was maybe a little bit rough and people were losing interest in it. So they created something different. I'm not sure what their theory was behind that, but if I'm not mistaken, it's both trains are facing forward again. Awesome. All right. Good deal. So seven, solid seven. Solid seven. Well, good. That's awesome. I, I would be disappointed if I went to Kings Island and it were down for the day. Oh, yeah, for sure. Even though it's the oldest coaster there, I would be disappointed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. So I got to be honest with you. My ride choice this week is an 11. I mean, it is just the one of the greatest rides, if not the greatest ride I have ever ridden. Um, I don't know what this park could have done to make this ride any better. All right. So like, um, this is like, sounds like one of your very favorites. It, it really is. It really is. It, it, I waited till the third episode to talk about it. It's just, I could not wait any longer. So I'm going to stay along the same lines of Hollywood studios. My favorite ride I've probably ever ridden hands down is in Hollywood studios. Uh, and of course I'm talking about star Wars rise of the resistance. Um, this is just an amazing ride. Um, I don't want to give any spoiler alerts, but I will. So, uh, obviously it is a trackless dark ride. It is a walkthrough experience. It is a motion simulator and it is a drop ride system all in one. Wow. Uh, yeah. Total ride time is like over 10 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. But the craziest thing about this ride is you don't really know where the queue ends and where the experience begins. The, the entire thing from the time you walk through the gate is an experience. So it's in, it's on the, um, it's on the, you know, Muppets section of Batu, kind of toward that entrance. Mm -hmm. uh, you walk in, of course, everything changes around you. You feel like you're on another planet. You're seeing X wings and Y wings. And I don't know how much you know about uh, star Wars. Have you, you've never watched the, the movie series. Have you? No, sir. I'm a Trekkie fan. Yeah. We're going to have to fix that, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so you walk in and you walk past the gate 
and the gate looks like you know a um like a gunner tower that you would see in the star wars films and you walk down this like just this path and it goes into caves and underground and when you go into caves you see all of the really authentic star wars things right you see the wires being run and the the lights that are flickering and everything that's happening and this entire queue is just designed to, to make you enjoy it and so we walk through the queue i'm enjoying waiting in line right which is crazy because you know how impatient i can be um you get to a section of the park or a section of the queue, excuse me, and uh, BB-8, which is one of the droids, comes out and, you know, makes some sounds, does some things, and then you get a holographic video message from a few of the main characters while you're waiting. You go into another room, you get on a shuttle. Um, The shuttle has all these just screens that make you feel like you're really flying through space, and it's a 3D motion thing, and it moves you around to another section of the queue. So you're already riding a ride, and you haven't left the queue yet. Um, When you get to that other section, you get uh, taken by the the. Uh, believe what's called the first order in this in this portion of uh, star wars galaxy and they take you hostage and they take you aboard one of their ships so now you're in another queue that looks like just one of these massive imperial cruisers um they interrogate you it's like that's when you get into the show segment of it they are very much in character all the employees they interrogate you they make you line up and you go to this holding cell and like a a light comes through a wall busts open and the resistance leaders try and take you out and they try and bring you out of this, out of this ship successfully. Um, It then you get into a trackless system, which I believe you rode uh, Remy's Ratatouille adventure, right? I did. It was awesome. So it uses the same system that that uses. It uses RFIDs 100% trackless. And it takes you through this maze inside this giant ship. There are um, starship battles happening. You're getting chased by bad guys. The cars are spinning and going fast. And there's all these lights and sounds happening around you. I fully immersive. Like you feel like you're really there in the middle of a star, like a battle in a Star Wars film. Um, Then at one point you get taken up like, I don't know, four or five flights of stairs on this ride system and you go to an escape pod. And when you go into the escape pod, when it releases, it drops you just like Tower of Terror does. Now, obviously smaller distance, but you have a drop. And then when you get to the bottom of the drop, it turns into a motion simulator. And that's how you finish out the ride is riding on this escape pod, escaping and crash landing back on Batu, And then they take you back outside to um, the loading station where you offload and the ride is over. Just so many things. It's like they threw every ride system and every idea that the Imagineers had and the kitchen sink into one ride. They could have easily said, hey, you know what? Um, we'll just make this a motion simulator or we'll just make this a trackless ride and that'll be good enough. And they didn't. It's like, they said, no, let's take everything that we've made great and put it all into one ride experience, including the queue, including the weight. I mean, overall, you know, if you waited for this ride for an hour, you would enjoy 45 minutes of it to the fullest extent. 
Wow. It's just, it is absolutely just an amazing ride. And I, like I said, I would give it 11 out of 10. This right now is my favorite ride and it's not even a roller coaster. So that has to say a lot about it. It does. In fact, I haven't heard anybody say anything bad about it, except the amount of time that it's been broken down. If they could work the kinks out where they could keep it running more, I think it'd be a real, it's, well, it's already a big hit for them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, but here's the other side of that. I agree with you. Um, I wish it was operating more. Uh, I feel like, cause you know, they, they opened it in January of 2020. Um, they had a soft opening in December of 2019. Um, I feel like they're finally getting it to where it's running like a well-oiled machine. But I mean, think about it. Any ride that I've loved, Top Thrill Dragster, Millennium Force, they all had that phase. Uh, even um, even Lightning Rod at Dollywood. I love that ride, but it spends a lot of time down. So anytime you have these complex, like one-of-a-kind ride systems, it it takes a few years to really get them to where they're you know, they're running like a well-oiled machine for sure. Absolutely. All right. Let's hear what you hate. Come on. Let's hear that, that die ride. Let's, let's see that. Okay. I'm sticking with Kings Island again, Adventure Express. So Adventure Express is one of those rides that, you know, it's, it's sort of designed to be a family coaster, but it's really a little too rough as far as jerking, a lot like Delonica that you talked about two weeks ago. Um, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a real um, one you want to like, but there's not enough there to really like it. I feel like they could have done so much more with it. And actually, if I were going to pick a coaster, for them to take down, even though it had gotten rough, I would not have picked Vor- up Vortex. I would have picked Adventure Express. Um, it has a real non-climatic climatic ending. It um, goes up a lift hill and then down a little hill, round a curve into a station, and it's done. It's just um, the curves are not very banked, so you get a lot of lateral forces. And as you know, I'm not a fan of that. There is no lift out of your seats. It's just mm, kind of tor- um, torture through the whole thing. So, yeah, I would give it a nine. Good call. Good call. I don't know. Like, who builds a roller coaster without any negative Gs and, and only lateral Gs? Makes no sense. Well, if you're designing it as a family coaster, at least do it where you've got a good helix, you know, right. to kind of put you in your seat instead of curves that you go around fast that aren't banked yeah yeah i agree i agree wholeheartedly if i wanted to ride a a scrambler i would go ride a scrambler right purpose you know or a good mouse coaster you know something that's designed to do that well the mouse coasters are actually fun and you expect them to be rough like that you know where it looks like it's running off the track it's the scare tactic because the wheels are under the car so the front end actually does kind of go off the track a little bit, but nothing to harm you. You know, it just has that effect. Adventure Express, it's sort of an attempt to be an Indiana Jones type of ride. Got it. Where you're, where you're exploring, um, you know, they have the special effects going up the last lift hill. But, but it just it just lacks in every way. It is one that... I would definitely pass 
even if I had time to write it, and even if there were nobody in line, I would probably pass on it anyway. Yeah. So, okay, well, nine out of 10 bulldozers, that's a pretty solid tear that ride down. And as you said yourself, you didn't want to feel that way about it, but it's just one of those rides that makes you feel that way, right? And it's well, like, I great family coasters, and that yeah. is not one of them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I'm going to stay in the same uh, the same park. I'm going to stay in Hollywood Studios for this one. But all right. So my favorite ride of all time is a Star Wars ride. So what do you think I'm going to talk about as far as a ride that I don't like? I really have no clue. Yeah, I'm going to talk about a Star Wars ride. <laughs> hey. So um, I'm going to talk about Star Tours. I'm going to talk about Star Tours, The Adventures Continue, because that's what they have named it since the prequels came out. And they've they've done a lot of things to this um, this ride to make it more fun. I want to love this ride. Every time you get on, you get a different experience. This, this ride has a cult following. There are all kinds of people all over the world that love Star Tours. They have one at Hollywood Studios, at Disneyland, Tokyo Disneyland, and Disneyland Paris. Um, you know, it's got scores from John Williams. Like, what could you not like? Um, Walt Disney Imagineering made it. It's four and a half minutes long. Here is the issue. Um, it, it has a cool indoor queue. It's got a cool exterior, like indoor forest area. It is just, it's awesome. It's got a great backstory. It's got good storytelling. It makes me sick. Oh, it makes me so sick. So it is one of those rides that I want to love it. But every time I ride it, I get motion sick. It was designed with a simulator design back in, I don't know, uh... I mean, it, it reopened in 2011, but I know it's much older than that. It like came out in like 98, I want to say something like that. Anyways, it just makes me sick. Um, you know, there have been studies that show like on motion simulators. If you do things like you blast air in um, the faces of the riders, that that will cut down their motion sickness. For whatever reason, I don't know why, but the science works. It's part of the reason that when I ride a ride like Soren, I don't have the same experience because there's wind blowing in your face. Um, and they have tested this on different ride systems where people are getting sick and they found that if you do that, it helps. A fine example, when I get car sick, I roll down the window. Something about that cool air hitting my face helps. Star Tours does not have that. It It's just you feel like you're in a claustrophobic little shell um and it is a great ride but it just again it just makes me sick i want to love this ride i can't um as far as bulldozers i'm gonna give it a low bulldozer score because if they'll just figure out how to keep the motion sickness from happening it's a great ride uh i'm gonna give it 1.5 two bulldozers um fix the stuff that makes people sick and you'll have a home run on your hands for sure I understand what you mean about the cult following because when it was first opened, it was it was very popular. You would um, 
you could stand in that line for hours. We didn't. We happened to catch it during a time when the line wasn't that long. But even with that being said, we probably stood in that line 45 minutes and it wasn't even the new ride. So, yeah. right. Right. Yeah. People, people love that ride. They, they do. It's just, it just makes me sick. I just can't hang with the motion sickness, you know, and a lot of 3d simulators do that to me. So, you know, that's just kind of me um, as a rider, but yeah, I, you know, they improve that they've got a home run on their hands. I would ride it every time I go as it stands right now, if it's got a five minute or less wait, I'll ride it and close my eyes about, I don't know, two minutes in. All right. So I want to, before we do uh, news this week, I want to talk about a defunct park. Okay. Go for it. Okay. So this park was based on a comic strip, maybe tried to copy Disney a little bit, but um, it was unique. It's dog patch USA. It was in Harrison, Arkansas, not too far from Branson, Missouri. And I say in Harrison, it was actually between Harrison and Jasper, but I think Harrison was the closest big town. Uh, went to Dog Patch on three occasions. I enjoyed it. It was a pretty good little park. Um, it was extremely hillbilly. Um, you got to think the comic strip was Little Abner, and Little Abner and his hillbilly family lived in a village called Dog Patch. So, Dog Patch USA is where Little Abner lived. And I mean, you talk about theming. They did it right. They found a bunch of shacks that were literally falling down just in the countryside. Some little one and two bed, uh, one and two room shacks, uh, shacks without indoor plumbing. And, uh, you know, which we're in Tennessee, so it wouldn't be too hard to find one to this day if you just take a long drive in either the Appalachian area or in West Tennessee, you'd find one. But anyway, they moved them and, uh, and rebuilt them so that they would be safe. And so they had Mammy and Pappy Yoakum's house and little Abner's house and Daisy May's house and all the different characters. And the characters roamed the park. They, they put on shows just outside, out in the open. You just caught them if you caught them. And, uh, and they had some really redneck type of rides. First of all, to get to the park, you had to take an incline railway one was coming up from the bottom because the parking lot was on top of a hill and you actually went down into the valley to visit dog patch. So one was coming up, one was coming down and there was one rail. So they would meet in the middle and it had a little circle thing where one would go to the right. And, well, both of them went to the right technically, um, but they, that way they bypassed each other. So they had to time it so that they left the station right at the exact same time. And, um, and I can still hear that clickety-clack kind of noise that it made. And sometimes the, the um, workers who were running the incline would switch tracks in the middle. Just one would jump on the other train and, and the other one jump on the one coming down. You know. So it's pretty unique. That was the way to get down to the park. And it was pretty steep also. Then they had a couple of roller coasters, nothing major. They had a monster mouse, uh, had a decent uh, size heel to it and had a lot of curves and was pretty fun. But they had this um, toboggan ride. After they put it in, the toboggan ride became, you know, became popular at carnivals and 
fairs. So I've seen it at the Jackson Fairgrounds several times, but not as of late. They have pretty much stopped making them. So there's very few. Um, but it was called Earthquake McGoon's Brain Rattler. So it's a toboggan ride that you get in the car. It's two people is all that would fit in the car. It goes straight up through a tube. And at the top, it comes out over the tube and you get a view of what's below. And it does a round track all the way down the tube. And at the bottom, it has little hills that's going way too fast for. And it's a, a tight fit when they shut you in that thing. So it's rather uncomfortable. Wasn't a lot of fun, but it was really scary, especially for, you know, to a nine-year-old. It was a really scary ride. So that ride is actually still operating in a park called Little America. I don't think that there are any rides anywhere else. I'm not positive about that. But once in a while, you'll find some dog patch memorabilia. Uh, the first time we went to Universal Studios, back before Islands of Adventure was ever built, they had a like a tune area. And we went in one of the restaurants in that area to get some lunch. And they had a couple of plaques on the wall about dog patch. So the comic strip, not the theme park, but um, it's kind of nice to see it included because the comic strip has long been done away with and um, Al Cap retired, nobody took it over. So um, it's kind of a thing in the past, part of America that's pretty much forgotten. Um, different people have tried to resurrect dog patch, but it's that property has been tied up in lawsuits and, just never has been a successful uh, story. Wow. But it had a lot of potential and it was a lot of fun. One of the most fun things about Dog Patch is you could go, they had a trout farm and, and they had uh, where you could go trout fishing and they would clean your fish and, for, and you know, put it in a cooler for you to pick up when you left the park. Or if you wanted to clean your own fish, you could do that. You could pick it up on your way out the park. Um, so you fished with popcorn and there were so many trout in there that they, you would have uh, 10 fish jumping for your one piece of popcorn. So the objective was not, am I going to catch a fish? The objective was, how do I catch a big one? Um, because they all were going for it. So it's kind of which one could leap out of the water the best to get that popcorn. Um, and that's the one you caught. So Oh, they had paddle boats, a train ride, kitty rides. They had a, a motion ride. Um, I would say maybe 15 or 20 rides. It wasn't a big place, but it's a fun place to go to for a day. And it, it, you know, didn't break the bank to go. So that's one of those parks that I'm, I'm glad I got to go. It's um, part of my childhood that I enjoyed and enjoyed the company I was with and, um, and, uh, you know, it's not uh, on the main, it's not like in Orlando or Cincinnati or somewhere where a lot of people went. If you were going to dog patch, you had to drive there to get there because it really wasn't on the way to anywhere, but, but it was a pretty cool place. So yeah. that's all on that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard you talk about dog pack patch. I'm going to actually um, look it up and look at some old pictures and see what I can find as far as the park goes. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and talk about my defunct park, which is kind of a weird one out of all the parks that have ceased to exist that this one still op uh, operates. 
uh, it went defunct and then came back open. But um, that would be Land of Oz. Land of Oz is a Wizard of Oz um, themed uh, theme park or amusement park located in Beach Mountain, North Carolina. It's actually not far from us um, in Western North Carolina. And it's a theme park, obviously, based on the Land of Oz books. Um, it was originally opened in 1970 under the guidance of Grover Robbins and Carolina Caribbean Corporation. Um, and basically, the park has no roller coasters, no water rides, um, very few rides to speak of, if any at all. Um, and back in, I believe, 2018 or 2019, they actually reopened the park. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, basically, Wizard of Oz, one of the most famous intellectual properties of all time, especially after the color film in the in the 30s slash 40s and just all of that. Right. So these guys had this idea that they would build a Wizard of Oz themed park in this mountain in Western North Carolina. Um, they actually created over 44,000 glazed yellow bricks to simulate the yellow brick road. Uh, they, uh, at their opening, they had songs that were lip synced by characters on the yellow brick road. And basically the way that it worked is you would take a sky ride up to the top and you would follow the yellow brick road to the Emerald city, right? The sky ride was themed as a hot air balloon. Um, and basically there were no rides. You would just walk and look at Munchkinville or whatever, very much like a mountainside touristy type attraction thing. I guess the thing that prompted me to talk about this is something I didn't know. Land of Oz, when it opened, Debbie Reynolds, the actress, did the ribbon cutting. Wow. With her daughter, Carrie Fisher, who was 13 years old at the time. Do you know who Carrie Fisher is? Yes, but right now I can't think. She was one of the three main characters in the original Star Wars films. Okay. That park opened, I don't know, eight years before she hit it big and became a, a superstar for, you know, a period of time. Um, so I found that super random. I was like, well, what does Debbie Reynolds have to do with Wizard of Oz? I could not find any connection there whatsoever. I think it was literally just a marketing like thing where they're like, oh, we can get Debbie Reynolds at this price. Let's have her come cut the ribbon. So super random there. Uh, but basically you start off in Kansas, you experience tornado, you go down the yellow brick road, you see scarecrow, tin man, um, Cowardly Lion, Wicked Witch of the West, the whole nine until you get to the Emerald City. And that was it. No real rides, just like cutesy little decorations to look at on the side of this mountain. Uh, the park, needless to say, only operated for five years. Um, on Sunday, December 28th, 1975, a fire was set to the Emerald City Amphitheater and surrounding gift shops. Uh, two buildings were destroyed along with park offices, costumes, a lot of their just material. Um, some reports state that the quality of the original park was not recaptured after they tried to rebuild it. I'm guessing they were trying to save money and eventually the park closed in 1980. Um, after the park closed, it fell into disrepair. Nobody ever did anything with it. It just sat there. So people vandalized it. Stuff got stolen. 
Um, it very much fell into disrepair. It recently became a bit of a viral surrounding um, because there was a video that displays the Land of Oz exhibit at the Appalachian Cultural Museum, which is part of App State in Boone. And basically, these videos kind of went viral on the internet of like people going to this abandoned, you know, Wizard of Oz themed park and just walking around. Um, in 1991, the park was reopened for one day as a part of Beach Mountain's Independence Day celebration, but nothing really came out of that. Um, in 2011, they hosted the International Wizard of Oz Club. They took some photos, again, kind of sparking some of that material that ended up going viral. Um, for the 80th anniversary, the park will open on Thursdays and Fridays in June 19th, plus Wednesday, the last Wednesday of June and July. So I actually looked at the park's website. Um, you can go there. It, it is a thing. They have an autumn festival there now. So you can go through September um, and possibly part of October. I kind of want to go, even though I know that it's going to be like really kitschy and kind of dorky or whatever, just because it's close. But uh, it's quite interesting. If you haven't looked at the abandoned videos and pictures and stuff, uh, something about an abandoned amusement park is specifically this one. It just looks kind of eerie. So, but yeah. So Land of Oz, tiny little park on the side of a mountain that just never took off because it didn't have any rides, real singers, real shows, or <laughs> or um, or anything really to go to go see. But Debbie Reynolds was there, so <laughs> so yeah. Oh man, you know I I don't know. I would have thought they would have gotten somebody from the Land of Oz from the movie or. Even Elton John, who sang "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road," <laughs> right? Like I don't get, uh, I don't get the Debbie Reynolds thing. I, I just, you know, if any of our listeners out there, all three of you, if anyone's listening and you understand the connection between the Wizard of Oz, the film, or the books, and, um, and, you know, Debbie Reynolds, please let us know. You know, Judy Garland should have been there, something. But yeah. anyway. You know, uh, uh, I agree. I mean, was so, she st she was still around in the seventies, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe it's uh, somebody's relative had yeah. a friend had a relative that had a friend that was connected with her chauffeur or something. Who <laughs> yeah, knows right? What the connection was? Her cousin's it, dentist's uncle. You know, something weird. <laughs> Only in the south, right? <laughs> right. Right. But there may be a legit connection somewhere and we just don't know about it. You know, we don't know everything. So. Oh, hang on. Hang on. So Judy Garland, Judy Garland Ju died June 22nd, 1969. I just looked wow. that up. Okay. So yeah, see, I, she was alive in my lifetime. I was born in 64, but I, I didn't know. Wow. Didn't know she, she passed early. away young. I mean, she was yeah. only 47 years old. Wow. Okay, so maybe that's why. Maybe Judy Garland wasn't available and Debbie Reynolds could sing the song. I don't I don't know. I don't know. Nothing against Debbie Reynolds, you know. Yeah, um, no. Yeah. But but yeah, not related to Wizard of Oz that I can find online. Yeah, I like Debbie Reynolds. There's nothing there. I, I wasn't laughing at that. I was just No, laughing. it's just like random, right? Yeah, it is kind of random. All right, oh, so what are your news articles for this week? News, news. Okay, so this is not anything just really brand new, 
but it's something that I came across that I had forgotten about. But they are building a new theme park in uh, Arizona. And it's going to feature uh, Mattel, the toy. So it's going to sort of be a Barbie and Hot Wheels themed park. It's, um, it's going to be like the Mattel Adventure Park. And um, Mattel, of course, was previously involved a little bit with Epcot back in the day, if you remember. I believe they had a Barbie show or something. I can't remember in the American section. Yeah. Also going to have a Thomas and Friends indoor themed area, which nice. was 4D theater. And um, there's going to be a Crystal Lagoon water park. All of that's supposed to open this year, if I'm not mistaken. And they're, I mean, they're planning for a 2022 opening. And they're building a pretty amazing roller coaster that's going to be Hot Wheels themed. It's, I think, a family coaster, but it looks like it would be a, an aggressive family coaster, kind of like Fire Chaser at yeah. Dollywood. Yeah. So um, I think it's going to be in Glendale, Arizona, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, you're or, right. Yeah. So I, I, it looks like it would be worth going to, especially if you had uh, small kids like uh, in my youngest grandson, Carson. Uh, that's one of the few words he can say is car. But that yeah. boy has a car in his hand, I believe, when he goes to bed and goes to sleep. And, of course, he's a little too little to play with Hot Wheels, but I already know which direction he's going um, at the fireworks of, at the cookout yesterday. They had an electric car out there. And when the battery ran dead, he just could not understand. He could not understand that he had to take turns and he could not understand why he couldn't go. He was sitting in that car yelling at the top of his lungs, car, car. Right. Right. It was all about car. Anyway, I think um, especially for families with young kids, I think it's going to be one of the better additions that we've had for children in quite some time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. I'm looking at pictures on a news article for this right now. Uh, couple of things that i love i mean this coaster number one they've this hot wheels themed coaster they have it going over the parking lot over all of the cars right so when you're a kid playing with hot wheels you jump your cars over stuff and over other cars right i mean that's so that's really cool uh it looks like these hotels are going to be right up into the park like you walk out of your hotel and you're going in shops and hopping on rides um Thomas, the train things looks cool. It looks like they got some go-kart stuff in the works. It looks like a fun place to go spend yeah. the weekend. That's what I'm saying. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, if you're in Glendale, Arizona or within a couple hours, uh, yeah, this is somewhere I would want to go, you know, especially if you have kids. Yeah. Or like if you were driving to California, which I guess people still do that. Um, well, nowadays, most of them drive out of California, but. That's another story for another time. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you have to stay somewhere. You can't just drive day and night. So that might be a good stopping point. Yeah. 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 This, I mean, this looks really, really cool. It really does. It doesn't look massive or anything, but it looks like really cool. Uh, talks of a 4D uh, Soren style theater. Right. Um, 
you know, taking you 153, 130 feet above the ground, Crystal Lagoons. Yeah, this looks this looks legit. Yeah. Um, in fact, that roller coaster, if I'm not mistaken, it is the only one of its kind in the USA. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's partially indoors, partially outdoors, it looks like. Um, on this 3D graphic, I'm seeing four loops, a pretty vertical drop. I mean, it looks like a fun time for sure. Yeah, and um, if you've seen the construction updates, they're really coming along with it. Yeah, yeah, this is awesome. Cool. Definitely looking forward to that. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll go out to the West Coast sometime. Last week, I talked about something negative with Cedar Point selling the land from uh, where Great America, California is. So thought I'd talk about something positive this week and let you talk about something negative. That's good because I actually have two articles and both of them are both of them are fairly negative. So um, the first one is dated Newsweek uh, from Newsweek, July 5th of 2022 in their travel section, uh, just in case I need to cite this information. But um, so, yeah, a guest entering a park at Disney World in Orlando, Florida, specifically Hollywood Studios, was caught bringing in a loaded handgun or attempting to. So uh, this is from a few months ago, but I'm just now seeing it. On May 28th, a 44-year-old woman from Miami was vacationing at Walt Disney World with her family when she got into a fight with her husband, who decided to bring his 9mm Smith & Wesson handgun on their trip. As said, Orange County Sheriff's incident report obtained by Walt Disney World News today. That same gun would end up getting her in a lot of trouble with Disney security, obviously. Uh, As she was heading into Hollywood Studios with a cooler, a stroller, excited about their day at the park, um, they came early and that totally went to an end when she set off to when she set off Disney's security detectors. These detectors are obviously at every park. If you've been to a Disney park, you know, and pretty much any theme park nowadays. Um, and they're for, there for the safety of cast members and, and obviously guests. When security dug into her bag, they found in the left pocket a handgun with 12 rounds in the handgun. Uh, wow. question, yeah, right? When questioned by authorities, the woman said she did not know she had the gun with her and she felt embarrassed about the situation. I don't I would probably feel more than embarrassed. She also said that she didn't like that her husband had brought the gun in the first place. The woman has been issued a lifetime ban from Disney property. The woman spoke with Walt Disney World News today saying the incident happened at the start of their trip. Uh, she was quoted as saying, I wish I could talk about it. It's just been stressful. Uh, She hasn't been charged with any kind of crime or no charges have been pressed. However, the sheriff's office did forward it to the state attorney's office in the belief that there was probable cause that she was carrying a concealed firearm to the park. So basically it's up to the, um, the state to like, you know, do a background check on her and make sure that she's like not got, you know, something sketchy going on with all of the gun violence that's happened at like Orlando clubs and stuff. Disney just doesn't play around with that. Um, I find it hard to believe that you don't know that your husband's handgun is in your bag that you're carrying into a theme park. Um, now don't get me like wrong. I'm not going to get political. I'm not pro gun, anti gun. You know, I've, I've shot guns. I also will say that I don't currently own one. Right. Um, I've never owned one in my lifetime. 
Um, all of that being said, like, I don't see how you have a tool that could potentially end someone's life and you just accidentally have it in your bag. It, it does not happen. If you're that nonchalant with a firearm and you're a parent, you like need to reconsider some things, right? That just one at that. Yeah. A loaded one at that. I agreed, agreed wholeheartedly. It is a bummer. She's gotten a lifetime ban, but, uh, and it quote unquote, wasn't her gun, but something about this situation is just really fishy. Um, according to Orlando Sentinel, 20 people have been arrested on gun charges at Disney world in 2020 alone. 20 people have tried to carry firearms into that theme park. Well, something's working right for them right. to protect that many. So it makes you wonder back in the day when that wasn't such a strict thing, wonder how many carried it in there that we didn't know. You know, and we live in the South. We have family that, you know, they're just good old country boys. They might carry a pocket knife with them and, you know, forget. But when I go to Disney, I know that that's not a thing. I don't carry my pocket knife. I don't, you know, I would never carry a firearm. So yeah, um, that 20 guns, is in comparison to 2016, where they only had four arrests for that. Um, this month alone, a man was caught trying to enter Disney Springs with a gun and a bag of ammunition. It's just, it's terrifying. It's terrifying that you could be at a theme park with your family and some lunatic do something like that. Um, you know, obviously, Florida has a conservative government or he talks about constitutional carry laws. I'm good with all of that. You know, I believe in a free thinking America, if you're a responsible adult that's free thinking and has, ha- has passed all the regulations to own a gun and you've never had a record and you've never done anything wrong, I'm good with all that. Own your gun, live your life the way you want to, but don't bring it into a theme park. There's no reason for you to have it in a theme park where they have security and officers that their entire job is to make sure that no guns come in that park. You know, so uh, that is my first news article. I will then segue into my second news article. This one hit me today and the thought of it blew me away. This is according to the guardian.com. Disney could soon lose exclusive rights to Mickey Mouse. Have you heard this? I have not. Okay. So. This beloved character was created in 1928, and the copyright for Mickey Mouse is set to enter the public domain in 2024. So as a copyright or as a consequence of U.S. copyright law, entertainment giant Disney could soon lose exclusive rights to some of their characters most responsible for the brand's universal recognition, including the mouse that acts as its mascot. Mickey Mouse will enter the public domain in the year 2024, almost 95 years after his creation on October 1st, 1928, the length of time after which a copyright on an anonymous or a pseudo-anonymous body of artistic artwork expires. Uh, Daniel Maida is the associate director of the documentary film Legal Clinic at the UCLA School of Law, as well as longtime media and entertainment lawyer. He said the copyright expiration does not come without its limitations. So basically, to summarize this, after 95 years, a a cartoon character can go um, can go to public domain. Um, a couple of times this law came up for um, renewal around around 
you know, the age of Mickey Mouse, for example. Every time Walt Disney, the company, went to bat and was actually able to negotiate the changing of the age. Uh, It used to be 75 years, and they faced this once, and they convinced the government to extend it to 95. All of that being said, Winnie the Pooh has suffered this exact copyright law. Were you aware of that? No. Winnie the Pooh is now public domain. Uh, Some people that I probably think were not right in the head have recently created a horror flick starring Winnie the Pooh. They they have taken this child's icon, this cartoon icon, and have made a horror flick where he is the villain. Okay. Oh, father. Yes. Right. So, um, yeah, this this is a thing. I encourage you to look it up. Do your reading. Um, The other thing is think about all the money that Disney makes off of the appearance of Mickey Mouse. Now. Can you imagine the Amazon resellers, the e-commerce, everything that's going to come from this? I mean, forget, you know, people taking Mickey Mouse and probably doing not nice things with, you know, with our beloved friend. Um, He, you know, everyone can make money. They'll no longer have to ask Disney permission to use Mickey Mouse's likeness, or they'll no longer have to get um, copyright requests. So yeah, Disney has fought this a few times. So I'm I'm interested to see what they're going to do in regards to this. But uh, but yeah, they could potentially lose the exclusive rights to Mickey Mouse by 2024. Well, I'm not a Disney fan, but that would just be incredibly sad. It, it really would. It really would. So um, they, I mean, as far as the current copyright laws, from my understanding, reading up on this, there's nothing they can do to say, oh, okay, we'll just renew that copyright because it is uh, a piece of artwork that's almost a hundred years old. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see if any campaigns will come out like GoFundMes or anything to, um, to keep the beloved mouse with Walt Disney. Yeah, I mean, you know, he and Mark, he and Walt have been friends for a long time. Unfortunately, Walt is no longer with us, but Mickey Mouse just—he hasn't aged at all. Yeah, he hasn't. Um, and in regards to Winnie the Pooh, um, another thing I read more disturbingly: Pooh and his close pal Piglet are now the stars of a movie called Winnie the Pooh: Blood and Honey a soon-to-be-released horror film. <laughs> oh, like, man, what are they doing to Winnie the Pooh? It's it's do, so sad. Do they just have money to waste? I mean, really, who would ever go see that? That's just crazy. Yeah, silly people. All right, so that's all I have for, for this week's episode. Is there anything you want to add on to, uh, to our call today? Yeah, shout out before I go. I talked about Kings Island mainly today because... As of today, Kings Island turns 50. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. July so happy, 5th. Happy birthday, Kings Island. It's been through a lot of changes. You know. I have a, um, a Super 8 movie film of your Aunt Stacy as a kid. And uh, it wasn't by choice, but Scooby-Doo decided to dance with her. <sighs> so Scooby was one of the characters back then. And uh, then they went through the Nickelodeon phase when Paramount had it. And, right. Uh, 
Now, of course, everything, because it's owned by Cedar Fair, is Snoopy-themed, which is yeah. fine. You know, I adore Snoopy. Snoopy's been my friend for a very long time. So Absolutely. But, but back in the day, the first time we went to Kings Island was in 1983. And um, it was the Hanna-Barbera characters. Yeah. yeah. So Stones and, and Scooby-Doo and several of those guys. Um, but anyway, it's good to know that it's still there. It has it has it gone under and they're still building and still redesigning and still trying to be a cutting edge theme park. So happy 50th birthday, Kings Island. Absolutely. So what a great way to close out uh, our third episode. Just happy birthday to Kings Island. 50 years. That's really awesome. I really enjoy that park and I'm looking forward to um, going there in a few months. So Yeah, because you were a scaredy cat last time we went. I so. was. I was still in my scaredy cat phase, so I'm really yeah. excited to ride the beast with my dad. I think that's going to be awesome. Yeah, and the racer. We'll, we'll do both of those together for sure. Absolutely, for sure. Well, um, we will go ahead and wrap up the call. Um, side note, I have someone working on our logo. After I get this uh, podcast edited, we will get this live. And we'll see who wants to listen to us just talk about nerdy roller coasters <laughs> for an hour, uh, for an hour once a week. So, all right. Love you, son. Have a great week. All right. Love you too, Dad. Bye.